Good evening, church. It's good to see you on a Wednesday evening. I'm glad that you're tuning in. Tonight, we're going to be in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10, and we're going to begin with verse 34. Uh, I started to entitle this, The Right Address, and instead I entitled it, The Savior. And just to give you a background of where we're going to pick up in verse 34, what's happened is Peter has been um, at Caesarea, and he has seen a vision, and in the vision, a sheet was lowered down with all kinds of creepy, crawly things, things that were unclean for Jews to eat. And a voice said, Rise, kill Peter and eat. And he said, No, I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. And finally, the third time, uh, the voice, which is the Lord Jesus, said, Don't call anything I've made unclean. And so Peter was wondering what was going to happen. And then three men had been sent from a fellow named Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. He was a God-fearer, meant that he had discovered the one true God in the Jewish faith. And in a, in a vision, as he's, as he's praying, he sees the angel that said, send for a man named Peter at Joppa. And these three guys came. They're his servants, some of his men. And they came to fetch Peter. And they spend a night with Peter, and he goes with them to the next day. And then we pick up the story in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The same is true today. We need to understand that no matter whether you're rich or poor, black or white, there's not to be any prejudice or injustice in God's house, in God's kingdom, because we all relate to God through Jesus Christ. It says, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to judge and be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness and through him his name. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission or the forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water to these that should not be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit? Just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized. In the name of the Lord, then they ask him to stay a few days. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word will teach us, that we will grow from it, that we will realize that in your eternal plan, you've called us uh, to yourself. 
And Father, that we realize the sufficiency of our faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you'll guide us into this study. And Lord, that we'll learn from it. And Father, that we'll grow. And Father, I ask again that you continue to protect our church, our communities, our country, our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, our missionaries, our service people, the firemen, the police, uh, the first responders. This pandemic seems to get worse, and if you don't stop it, it's just going to continue to get worse. So do it in such a way that bring glory to you, and as you bring glory to yourself, pour out revival upon our land and across the world. We, we wait patiently on you, Father, and we praise you because you alone are worthy to be praised. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, basically, I think Peter wondered why in the world God would have him go to a Gentile house. Why in the world these Gentile men sent? But he knew that God said not to call them unclean what he had made clean. And so he's about to learn some lessons and maybe we need to learn them. I think he thought he was going to the wrong address, but what he was really doing was going to the, where the Savior was already at work. And we need to remember that, that we're to live in the center of God's will. Whatever God has us do may be something we're not used to be doing. It may be something that is a different place than we're used to being. It may be something to some people that, that we really haven't had a lot of contact with before. But when we're in the center of God's will, uh, the kingdom grows. When we're in the center of God's will, our faith is established. When we're in the center of God's will, there will be opposition, but God will bless. When we're in the center of God's will, we find joy and happiness and peace. When we're in the center of God's will, we see God at work, not only in our lives, but in our communities. And that's where we need to be, is to live in the center of God's will. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. First of all, notice in uh, verse 38, a consecrated life. A consecrated life. Speaking of Jesus, Peter said this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here is Jesus. We see him repeatedly in the New Testament, praying, seeking the Father's will, doing the Father's will. He worked the works that he was supposed to do. He was in the will of the Father, in the center of the will, and because of that, he led a consecrated life. The work that God had called him to do was the most important thing in his. He would not be uh, distracted to the right or to the left. He wouldn't get into arguments with folks. He wouldn't be ugly. He's going to spread the good news of God, which was that he came to be the Messiah. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 uh, says these words about, about people. It says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this... Purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. When it talks about he who sins, it means a continual lifestyle of sin. It means that your life is full of sin. It didn't just, oops, I slipped up. It means your lifestyle needs to be saved. It's those who have never accepted Christ. He who continues sinning in that lifestyle of sin is not saved. And Jesus came for the very reason to destroy the works of the devil who caused Adam and Eve to be tempted and they chose to sin. Sin came and death came because of sin. And, and those works were the works of the devil and Jesus came to have victory over them and give us victory. 
All right? He led a consecrated life. And we need to ask ourselves, are, are we concerned about God's will? Do we understand that we're to work in the kingdom? It's not about us, it's about Him. Now, when we work in the kingdom, God's going to bless us. We're going to be happy uh, and experience some joys. We're going to experience some difficulties and some sadness and we persecution. Jesus said, very simply, in this world you will have trouble. You'll have sorrows. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, He's going to be with us in the midst of it. But he calls on us to live differently than the world around us. Not to be full of sin, but to live in his righteousness, guided by the Holy Spirit. Living according to what the Word of God says, to live a consecrated life. People take note of that. People say, that's what a Christian looks like. I need that. If we don't, they say, aha, it's another one of those. And they use Christ's name as a curse word. And we need to ask, are we living a consecrated life like Jesus? He, he, the Holy Spirit was with him and he went about doing good. All right? Do we do that? I'm praying that we do. Then we see a criminal's death in verse 39. It says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. See, it was... The law said that the guilty, those that were sinners, those that were awful, would be hung on a tree. All right? They weren't to stay overnight, but they would be killed on that tree. You were, you were looked at as condemned of God if you did that. And yet Jesus, wanting to embarrass him, wanting to have him a criminal's death, was, was crucified between two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. One rejected him, one believed in him. But he died as a common criminal. But he was buried in a rich man's tomb rather than the potter's field, and he rose on the third day. You see, we need to understand the criminal's death was an example of how depraved and how sinful we as mankind are. Think of it, the Creator being crucified by His creation. The one who came to save us from our sins being put to death just because He loved us Love God and showed us the way. He died a criminal's death for me and you. I want you to think about that a little bit harder as I have been thinking about it. The King of glory, the Lord of lords, the one who was literally heaven's splendor, gave all that up, came as a servant in the likeness of a man, Born 100% man, yet he was 100% God. He walked the sinful sod. He endured and saw how marred his creation was. He saw the pain and suffering that sin had brought into the world, and he knew he came to deal with that. And yet he gave up all his rights, all his glory, all that was due him, and died a criminal's death on a cruel Roman Roman cross, the ultimate sign of a humble servant. And we're called by Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And we're supposed to deny ourselves when we do that. It's literally a criminal's death. But as I mentioned earlier, that wasn't the end of the story. It's a confirmed resurrection, a confirmed resurrection. Look at verses 40. In 41, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. 
not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. It was a confirmed resurrection. Uh, we have many proofs of the resurrection. In any court, they would stand up because of the eyewitnesses. We need to understand that uh, Paul talks about that beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says this, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. God predicted all of that all through the Old Testament points to Jesus. And he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, minus Thomas, and then by all of them. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, whom the greater part remained present, but some has fallen asleep or have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me, as one born out of due time. In other words, Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. It was a confirmed resurrection. He who had died a criminal's death, he who had lived a consecrated life, had a confirmed resurrection. Your faith is well placed in Jesus. When we talk about resurrection power, that is the power that rests upon us in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. When you talk about resurrection power, that's to help us live, to resist temptation, to understand God's Word, to do God's work, in this place at this time. I hear people, oh, this has just been the worst year. It certainly has not been a good year. But we need to understand we were born for this time. God knew exactly what he was doing when he put us in this year. God knew exactly what he was allowing to happen when this happened, not only to our country, but to the world. It is our chance to serve him, to show light in the darkness, not to become more evil, but to become more consecrated and more holy, if you would, by our lifestyle, preaching to the generation around us that there is hope and his name is Jesus Christ. So there's a consecrated life, a criminal's death, a confirmed resurrection, and there's also a coming judgment. Look at verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to judge and be the judge of both the living and the dead. Jesus is that judge. There's a coming judgment. In John chapter 5, is quite a, a statement on that. And he said in John chapter 5, beginning verse 19, listen to it. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. As the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting or eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most surely I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son also. Listen to me. There's coming a day, no matter how people mock, when Jesus judges the living and the dead. When those who are raised are raised to resurrection of life, who have accepted him, those who are raised to resurrection of death and hell, they've rejected him. There's a coming judgment. I don't know when it is. Anybody who tells you that knows the day or the hour or the time is not so. We don't know the exact day, but what we do know, it could be at any time. He says, watch and be vigilant in other scriptures. And he gives us many parables about the bridegroom coming and the ten virgins not being ready or, or the wedding feast and the fellow doesn't have uh, his proper clothes and he can't go in and the door is shut and he missed his opportunity. We could go on and on about it. But there's a coming judgment no matter how much uh, we want to say that there's not. We need to understand that. Uh, we need to uh, remember that. And we need to praise God that we're delivered from that. And not only that, that he's delivered any of us from that because we all deserve it. Uh, <clears throat> Paul speaking this said that we're to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. The only way you escape judgment is by accepting Christ. I believe we... Uh, stand before God as Christians to give an account for the life we live because we have the, uh, the book of life and then we have uh, the book of works or the judgments. In other words, I'm going to give an account for what God gave me and how I used it, just like the parable of the talents. But those that aren't found in the book of life are condemned. No rewards. No hope. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no do-overs. There's not a second chance. You accept Christ in this life or not at all. There's coming day of judgment. Then there's complete salvation in verse 43. Uh, he talks about the complete salvation uh, when he says this. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. It means uh, faith in Christ alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. Okay? And, and it means, remission means to remit the bill. The bill is no longer due. I couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay it. The penalty of sin was death. Only Jesus paid it. He won the victory over sin and death. And when we accept him, his righteousness becomes ours. The Bible says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, and we might become the righteousness of God in him. We could go on and on, but you see, God looks at us, and now the penalty has been paid. And we're his ambassadors. Uh, there's complete salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And then we've got a converted company. Look at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, because he's been preaching to them the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who had heard the word. And those who were the circumcision who, who believed were astonished as they came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles and they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. Now, what I want you to understand is we receive the Holy Spirit whenever we're saved. As Peter is preaching and the Holy Spirit comes it's because these people are believing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as they're saved, they have the Holy Spirit. The outer sign was there to confirm that. 
God in his wisdom had sent Peter, but he'd also sent those of other Jewish uh, Christians so that they would see that you didn't have to be circumcised and be a Jew to be saved because they saw it with their own eyes. And we need to understand that. And it, it, it's, it's a converted company here. Um, you see, Jude, 9, Jude verse 19, that little book talks about some uh, do not have the Spirit. They're devoid of the Spirit. That's one of the tests of if you're really saved or not. If you don't know the Holy Spirit and you don't have God's Spirit, you're not His own. Okay? Uh, read Romans chapter 8 if you need to. But you need to understand that that this company that was there gathered with Cornelius were saved. Everybody there had believed the gospel message and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the final thing that I see is a command obeyed. And the command was that after you're saved, you're supposed to be baptized. Because Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water to these that should, be, should not be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay for a few days. In other words, they were baptized. And they asked him to stay and explain more fully and to fellowship with them as Gentiles. And being a, a Jewish man who kept uh, the laws for so long, that was something totally different for Peter. For him to enter a Gentile house and, and be declared unclean by the priest back home was something he would have never done until God commanded him. And he wanted to be in the center of God's will and live in God's will, so he did it. God might command us to reach out to folks that aren't just like us. As a matter of fact, I am really uh, disturbed and tired of Christianity being labeled as a white man's religion. If it is, we have done that. Because the New Testament church accepted everybody, whether they were the lowest slave or the richest person, once they'd accepted Christ. It didn't matter whether they were barbarians or Scythians or, or all the others mentioned in that whole host in Acts chapter 2, you need to understand when you start reading those nations, there's every skin color represented there. That's not the, what God sees. He sees the inside of man. He sees our hearts as we bow in repentance and faith and confess our sins and ask Jesus to save us. And after we do that, then we need to be obedient and be baptized. And after we're baptized, we need to get on board and start serving and being his witnesses, not preachers, witnesses. That happens in the New Testament. Do we understand that? There's no place for prejudice. There's no place for looking down on other people. Uh, sometimes we think, well, I'm not prejudiced. Well, I'm glad, okay? And I hope that's true. But prejudice is, is, isn't just about skin color. I heard somebody say something in one of my churches one time that was deeply disturbing and I, I corrected them and they were no longer friends with me. Matter of fact, they rejoiced and they prayed for me to leave the church. And here's what they said. Oh, you're doing a good thing there, preacher. Look at all those kind of people you're bringing in. What they ever do for the church? They don't give, they don't work, they just sit there. They're just a drain on our resources. And he was talking about the folks that lived on the other side of the tracks. He was talking about that area of town that that was a little run down. He was talking about what he called poor white trash. I don't care if you're rich and creamy white or if you're poor white trash, if you're black or Asian or Hispanic, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? And it's prejudice to look on people. I heard somebody else say, oh, I don't like them. Why? I hate fat people. And the person they were talking about was a large person. Okay? Um, 
Do we understand that there's a lot of things that cause that? Do we understand that, that person is precious and made in the image of God? Do you understand you can be you can be prejudiced towards those that are poor, those that are heavy, those that are skinny. You can be prejudiced towards those that are educated, those that are uneducated, those that work with their hands, those that don't work with their hands, work with their minds. You can be prejudiced in all different kinds of ways. We just usually condone it to color. But there's no place for that. Here's a Roman along with Peter, along with uh, Jews that had been circumcised. Here are all the servants gathered in Cornelius' house. And I guarantee you the Roman army was made up of every different race you could think of. And these people hear the gospel, they repent of their sins, they place their faith in Jesus Christ, knowing only He can save, and God pours out His Holy Spirit upon them, saying, I accept you because you've accepted Jesus. We as a church... If we're going to live in the center of God's will, have to do the same thing. And I think we're capable of that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had every age group, every kind of color in our community, every kind of socioeconomic class in our community, all gathered in one place praising the name of Jesus Christ? I think it would be, but, you know, I'm just a pastor. And some of you will dismiss it thinking he's just preaching. But I mean it with all my heart, and I think it's biblical. Have a good week this week. Please be careful. Please pray for the church. Please pray for our communities. Pray for a revival to spring forth in God's people and spread to the lost. We love you. If you need us, give us a call. Good night, church. Have a good week.